Good day and welcome to the Waystations Ministries podcast. I'm Greg Spencer with a light for your journey and a good word for the road. It's great to be traveling together and I thank you for coming with me. Let's ride together for a while. Hey friends, welcome back to Waystations Ministries, the podcast. I'm Greg Spencer, your host, and it's really fun to get together with you. I hope you're having a good life. I hope things are going well for you. We're in a season now where everybody's looking forward with hope to things being better. I heard on the news uh, just the other day that uh, the national parks are being overwhelmed and setting records with visitors all across the country. And I think that's good. I think that's wonderful. I've always wanted to go to all the national parks, haven't made it to all of them yet. But to go outside, to enjoy the beauty of the season, to enjoy the beauty of the earth, and maybe to get away from some of our problems and hassles, that's not a bad thing at all. I'm getting finally to take a vacation, and I can't wait to do that because it's been a year and a half without break, without let up, and I could sure use it. Oh, boy. How about you? Are you ready for some good spirit? Are you ready for some relaxation? Are you ready to enjoy your life? Or are you so caught up in the negativity of life and the burdens of life and the problems or the fears that they still overwhelm even when there's signs of hope around you? That's not a good thing. What is good is to say, okay, I have to contend with whatever happens. I have to learn how to respond to it well. But if I do that, then I have an effective life. And my, my purpose, my meaning, my value is not defined by the limitations, but how I respond to them. Not the challenges, but how we overcome them. It's not what we see, but how we see it. And so it's fun once in a while to get some new ideas about how to see things and how to respond to them. And I think sometimes if we look at it a different way, it's nowhere near as bad as it used to be. I remember... When uh, I was shopping for a, an engagement ring, this is a long time ago, uh, I went to a family jeweler and uh, he said, well, let me show you how to see a diamond. And I had never seen any of that before. He took me in and got the, the little uh, microfo uh, microscope that really brings out the, the image. And he had it in tongs and would turn it around. It was lit from underneath. And it was, it was very cool. And he says, well, that's nice, isn't it? He says, but you haven't seen it yet. And he adjusted it in such a way that all of a sudden, just turning the diamond a little bit, I suddenly saw all the light come shining out through it, which I had never seen before. I was surprised by the luster of it. I'd, I'd seen diamonds on rings and people having them for a long time, but I'd never seen it that way. I'd never seen it that close, that small. And it changed me. It changed the way that I, I see diamonds and jewelry now. It changes the way I see the beauty and the investment. And that he didn't stop there. He actually took time to show me the different shapes and the different kinds of effects that the, they have when you're looking at them. Uh, he showed me the flaws. He showed me how to see the flaws. And every single diamond has a flaw. Every one. Well, that's a good thing to know. So much in our lives, we want things to be good. We want it to be great. We want to think of ourselves as right. We want to think of ourselves as worthwhile. Um, we want to think of ourselves as good. But hard times come along and we've discovered that we have flaws. And what do we do with those flaws? We'd like to be rid of them, but they seem to be part of who we are. And I think we're created that way. I don't think anybody's perfect. It's not about feeling guilty. It's not about feeling bad. It's about living well. 
It's about how do we make our way? Have you ever had somebody who unloaded all their junk on you? You just happened to be the person there at the time and they just unloaded everything. Maybe you know people who like to spill their suffering over everybody else. They spend all their time complaining and criticizing their lives. They, they are unhappy about everything. Uh, they complain about weather and work and food and family and government and community and church and even God. They seem to spend all their time talking about it. And I don't know what joy they get out of that. I don't know what peace they get out of it. But they're never happy. There's always something to make them unhappy. I notice this in the media, too. I noticed this lately in all the political discussions on the various media sources. There is no such thing as a good time or a good moment. There is always something else to think about how terrible it is. And they're always so seriously faced. And this is a life-affecting, world-changing, oh my gosh, what are we going to do kind of moment. Well, I don't think life is like that. I don't think the world is like that. I don't think it's good to really focus that way. How many people share their misery so freely? with gossip or criticism, criticism, sometimes blaming us, sometimes just putting it out there to make other people miserable, as if that would make them feel better. It really doesn't. It distracts them for a minute, but it doesn't bring any comfort. It doesn't bring any resolution. It doesn't address the problem. It just states it, and you feel lousy, and they love that. You've heard the cliche, haven't you? Misery loves company. What is it? They're sharing it because they want you to be miserable too. They feel a moment of a little bit better because they're sharing their garbage with you. Well, that's no fun. That's not a way to make it better. And I think we should be trying to make it better. There's got to be a way that we can live without all that junk. So what's a person to do? Do you stand like a deer in the headlights and just wait for it to end? Do you try to run away? Do you argue? Does anything work to stop the swirling flood of crud that flushes us lower and lower and lower to who knows where, and nobody likes to live there, but sometimes it's really hard to crawl out of there? So what do we do? How do we love people who are so miserable and take great pains to share it with everybody? How do we help them? Is there anything that we can do? Is it possible to end the suffering, whether it's for them or for ourselves? Now, the Apostle Paul writes to uh, the early churches, churches that he had formed, and churches were trying to figure out what it means to be a, a good person, what it means to be a Christian, how do you follow Jesus in these kinds of circumstances. And he wrote a letter to the people who lived in the city of Ephesus. It's called Ephesians. If you look in the Bible for the book, that's what it is, Ephesians, the people of Ephesus. And what he says is this, With all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now that is a pretty powerful word. Who would have thought there'd be such militaristic talk in the Bible? (laughs) That's not what people expect. But it's a real freeing thing. Take the shield that will protect you from flaming arrows. Put on a helmet that protects your head, your thoughts, if you will, your heart, your spirit, your attitude, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, I would like to start with the sword. The sword is not about harming someone else. It's not about cutting them or cutting them down or anything like that. 
I think you take the sword of the Spirit as the Word of God to cut away the junk in your own heart and your own mind, to get rid of the garbage that seems to bring us down, that seems to cheer us up, that seems to upset us. We have the ability to do it. Jesus said it in uh, the Gospel, in the Gospel of John. He says to his disciples before he's executed, he says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, most of us have not thought or practiced the discipline of being strong enough to prevent our hearts from getting troubled by the things that happen to us. We get upset, we get depressed, we get angry, we, get, we allow our emotions to run with us. It's all we know. We've never trained ourselves to learn how to control that with our mind or with our spirit. So when he's talking about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, it means going to God's word to give you the power to cut away the garbage, to get rid of it, to allow it from within not causing harm to someone else. The helmet of salvation is remembering how precious you are, how loved you are, how God blesses all around you in spite of the crud you have to face or deal with, and letting that be more important than the darkness or the storm or the hardship. Letting the people who matter to you be more important to you than the ones who don't care about you. Letting the shield of faith protect you because you know what you believe and why you believe it and how you believe it and how you practice it. Now, if you don't know those things, well, I can help. (laughs) But the encouragement here is to start thinking about it. What does faith mean to me and how do I live with it? How do I prevent it from being weak and thus not giving me the power. An awful lot of times I'm talking to folks about the love of God, the presence of God, the Spirit of God, and they don't have a clue about what that is. They don't know what I'm talking about, partly because they've never experienced it. They don't know what it means to feel the nearness of God in their heart or in their mind or in their soul. And so it's very hard to imagine yourself being protected by your faith. It's very hard to imagine the power of God being present within giving you strength, giving you insight, giving you wisdom, and helping you not to be damaged or taken advantage of or abused. So I love this language about taking a shield, taking a helmet, and having the sword, and using them in a way that protects and defends and strengthens. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication, Paul writes. This is in chapter 6 if you're curious to read it. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Well, that doesn't really answer the problem that I raised in the beginning. How do we get rid of the garbage? Well, that's really kind of obvious, isn't it? This is the Spencer garbage collector theory of ministry. You see, we, in most of our modern communities, we have services that we hire to take our garbage away for us. We take, we gather our garbage during the week. We gather our recycling. We put it into bags or put it into barrels. We take it out to the corner and we wait for the specified day when the truck comes by and picks up our garbage and takes it away. Imagine what life would be like if nothing took it away. We'd have to live with it in our house all the time. (laughs) That's not the way we want to live. We do need it to be taken away. It's a very important service. Those people don't get enough recognition or appreciation for what they do and how they have to live with it all the time. But this is the point of the garbage collector being in ministry. What they do is they get into a uniform. 
They drive, ride with a truck, and they take all the garbage that everybody in town has, and they figure out a way to get it into that truck, and they uh, crush it from time to time to create more space. And all the garbage imaginable is dumped off and left for them to take away. And they fill the truck. Sometimes they may have to do it more than once. They spend the whole day, every day, picking up those barrels, throwing in the garbage, crushing it and taking it down, and they take it away. Now, not too many of us have followed the garbage truck to see where they take it. Most of us don't really care where it goes as long as it goes away, right? Well, where do they take it? I can tell you one thing. They don't take it home with them. (laughs) They don't take it home at all. What they do is they take that truck with all the garbage in it, and they take it to a place called a dump, and they leave it there. It's where all the garbage is left, where nobody lives and no one spends a whole lot of time. And it is a part and a way from the life of the persons in their homes. We don't want it to build up at home, so we get get rid of it. They take it to someplace else. And here's this very secret of a good garbage collector. They never take the garbage home with them. In fact, very often what they'll do is after they're, they're done with their shift and they leave the truck behind, they also leave their clothes behind. They take off the uniform that they wore. Maybe they'll take it to get it clean. Maybe the service provides the cleaning for them. But they do not take that garbage home. They do not cling to it. They do not cherish it. They, do, they leave it at the dump. And this is the key secret for a ministry plan like this. What you do is I sometimes have to try to listen to the grief that someone else has. And I try to lighten the load for them. If they have a sympathetic ear... They hear the person, they recognize the person is caring for them, and it lightens the load that they have. And they get to clean out some of the garbage in their heart or in their mind or in their lives. Now, I take it away from them as best I can. I try to show them a different way to think. I try to see them a different way to live or a different way to cope. I try to show them how to live above the garbage that they have in their lives. And that enables them to live better and to live freer. And so what they have to do is they have to let go of the garbage. You can't uh, throw it, put it out in the barrel and then go out and grab it and hold on to it. You have to be able to let it go. I don't want to think about this anymore. I don't want this to consume my heart. I don't want to feel guilty. I don't want to feel pain. I don't want to feel the crud. I don't want to dwell in the dark places. I don't want to live under constant stress or storm. No, I need it. I need to find a way to let go of it. And I need the garbage collector to take it away for me and enable me to live better and enable me to live freer and cleaner and happier. And it smells so much better when it's gone. We find joy in that. And this is what the garbage collector theory of ministry is. We are helpers to each other to lighten the load, to ease the pain, to remove the burden, to clear the way for a person to live better and to live freer. Now, if there are people who choose to live that way all the time, we'll be patient as we can be, but we're not going to take their garbage home with us. If they're willing to listen and take the advice or listen to the counsel, or if they really desire to be free of this difficult emotional life and to find a way to be at peace, oh, we'll help them all the way. We'll help them get rid of the garbage and we'll help them to find their way, not to the dump, but to the park or to the shore or to the lake. We'll take them out to where you can have a picnic and enjoy the quality of your life. Why? Because we don't take the garbage there. Even there, the garbage collectors come and take it away. Even there, 
we find that we don't have to hold on to it. Now, I think that would be better for all of us, don't you? If we allow God or of a godly person to help us to change our perspective and to let go of the grief or the pain or the garbage and to start focusing on the good that's present or the quality of our life or the hope that we have or the challenge that is before us that we've set as a goal that will make life better. Focusing this way enables us to be better all along the way. This is what's really important. I don't know if you've remembered some of the famous um, inventors who fail hundreds of times before they finally succeed. Now, what is it with that? I know Edison failed hundreds of times trying to invent the light bulb. Why would he keep going? Because he believed in the positive nature of the future that he envisioned. He believed that there could be a way of creating a light. And so he didn't give up. He kept going and going and going. He tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. Now, some of us will try for a while, but if it doesn't come soon enough, we get unhappy. We say, oh, I guess that's not going to work. Or, oh, God's not answering my prayer. Or, oh, how terrible this is. And what are we doing? We're putting ourselves down. We're putting ourselves back in the pile of garbage. And we're dragging it back inside the house. Oh, no, no. That's not, that's not what we want to do. Let's take it out of the house and let someone else carry it away for us and find the way to accomplish and to succeed with a positive vision of the future and doing everything we can to get there and not giving up just because there's a setback here or there or just a problem along the way. That's just a challenge to overcome. Jesus talked about that too. He said, nothing will be impossible for you. Now you have to choose whether you're going to believe that. If we believe that, then any of the obstacles that come, any of the problems that we encounter, any of the things that really distract or interrupt or interfere, those are just obstacles. And we have to find our way over it, under it, around it, through it, break it up, whatever it takes. But it's not to stop. It is to remove and to overcome. And if we strive that way, believing that it will not be impossible, we'll find our way to make miracles happen. Sometimes in our own heart, sometimes in our own mind, sometimes in our families or church or community. Sometimes we can bring people together that never thought they'd talk to each other. And they find the way to work together and resolve their differences and overcome their problems and make life better for everyone around them. Now, this is what we should be focused on, don't you think? The misery goes nowhere. It makes us unhappy, makes us feel bad, and does absolutely nothing. But working towards the good, working with a goal that's positive, working for a future that we can imagine, and taking every step we can and not allowing the setbacks to get in the way, we just work around them, we resolve them. How much more do we learn by doing that? That's how we get ahead. That's how we go forward. That's how we do it the best way possible. And that's the way we want to live, isn't it? With a positive view, but also a successful life. That sometimes that success is overcoming ourselves and letting the junk go. So let it go and have a great week. Thank you so much for being with us this time. I look forward to connecting with you again. Have a safe journey, and no matter what may come, may the sun shine, may the love grow, may it be a great time. Well, I'd like to thank you for being with us this time and hope that you'll join us again next time, next week, when we get together for a little more time on the road together. May it be good for you all the way through.